If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew 5 today, continuing our series in Matthew. Man, my voice like this, I want to try like to say things that I normally don't say, you know what I mean? I had a professor who would say, he has a great voice, so he could say stuff like this, but he would go like, God the Father is God without flesh. God the Son is God in the flesh. God the Spirit is God inside your flesh. It sounds crazy when I say it, but when he sounds sound amazing. I want to say something like, there is no balm in Gilead. Matthew 5, that's where we're at today. Um, so, this guy named Matthew, I believe Matthew the tax collector, was writing this story, telling us about this Jesus who was crucified, born of a virgin, given, you know, announced by angels, uh, declared and affirmed by God when he splits heaven open as, as the son that he's quietly loved. And then Matthew begins to tell us about his teachings. And um, we need to review a little bit uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. I think it's possible, well, it happens to me. Um, when you're going through something like the Sermon on the Mount, especially if you grew up and you've heard it before, um, and you take each little piece, I think we miss sometimes that Jesus, there's a flow, right? There's a flow to his argument. He's moving through uh, ideas, not, he's not like, he's not just like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you about anger. Like, I think he's moving through making an argument. In a, in a, so we have to review just a little bit. Um, Matthew tells us that Jesus has been going around teaching, and what he's been teaching and preaching is the good news about the kingdom. And what Jesus has been preaching, according to Matthew, is repent, turn away from anything that distracts you from God, repent and, or for, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this kingdom is near. He's been healing people and talking about the kingdom. This kingdom is, uh, we don't talk that way much anymore, right? Like, we wouldn't talk about like, you know, the kingdom of, of, of you know, the president or whatever, but back then it was language, and also it was just ancient language. The prophets and the psalmists would talk about God's kingdom, uh, God's sovereign, saving rule for them over Israel, right? He's going to show up and he's going to save God's kingdom. When he is the king, the way he intended it to be, the whole world's going to be set right. That's God's kingdom. And so he's been teaching about this. But Jesus has been talking about it in a way that would have surprised all of his hearers. He's redefining it, not redefining it, but in their eyes, in their ears, redefining it. It surrounds and has to do with him in some way. So he's been talking about this kingdom. And so he opens up and he begins to teach about the kingdom with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are this beautiful, beautiful story that there's richness in life in poverty. Richness of life is found in poverty of spirit, uh, in meekness, in hungering and thirsting for righteousness that you know that you don't have. Um, and there's this rich life. And then he tells us what the kingdom looks like. Um, it looks like God, you know? Uh, if I built a kingdom, it would be like me, right? It would have, Caesar's kingdom looked like and valued what Caesar valued. Valued power, military might, wealth, and that's what Caesar's kingdom looked like. And, and God's kingdom looks like God. It's about merciful, mercy and about forgiveness. And, and, and it's amazing. Uh, this about peacemaking and, and being pure in heart. And then he says at the end of the Beatitudes that 
the response to this type of life from a lot of people will be rejection, uh, persecution. Uh, they're not going to like it when Christians have to stand up, those followers of Jesus have to stand up and say, no, that's not the right way. And so there's going to be persecution. But then right after that, in verses 13, and 13 through 16, he says, also though, this is going to be the salt and light of the earth. Yeah, there's going to be people, there's going to be persecution, you're going to face persecution. But also, this is going to be the salt. This is what's going to make, this is the flavor of life. Like this is what makes it, the depth, it increases the depth of flavor and the light. This is the thing that will show people the way. So there's this beautiful thing of, of in, in the Beatitudes, Jesus talking about how we're going to be united to him through having a righteousness that is not ours. He's pointing to that already. But then how he's going to go and send us out in the world to be lights and to be salt, to draw people to him and then (laughs) for some people this had to sound like Jesus was talking about a whole new way to God right because he starts out by talking about blessed are those in in poverty blessed are those in meek people had to hear this and think he's talking about a whole different way of living Psalm 1 the top of the Psalter this Psalm that kind of sets the tone for the whole thing we heard earlier but Psalm 1 says throw it up there for me do we have it Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Who is blessed? The one who delights in the law. Right? The one who has the law. The one who's blessed. So they would have very much thought that blessing was tied to being Jewish to following the law because God gave the law to the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, and they have this law and, and blessing comes from that. And, and Jesus comes along and says, blessing comes from being poor in spirit, being meek, hunger and thirsting for righteousness. And there, it had to say, and, and he's not pulling these things out of thin air. These things are also in scripture, but in the way that he was talking about them, it had to, it had to cause him to pause and like, what about the law? What about the law, Jesus? And so he says in response to that in verses Verse 17, you know, he says, it's the light of the world, you're going to go out in this, and what are you talking about? Is this a whole new thing? And he's like, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. <laughs> the teachers and priests, the preachers that came uh, to tell you what the law meant, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, right? Truly, I said to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away until all is accomplished, And then in verse 20, he says this, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he says this. He says, this is who's blessed. This is what the kingdom looks like. You're going to be salt and light, but there are going to be some that reject you. And people are probably thinking, what what about the law? And Jesus is like, look, I'm not undoing the law. The law's not going away. The law will not ever disappear until the law has accomplished everything God sent it to do. God's word doesn't go out and return void. When God sets out to have something accomplished, it happens. He's God, right? He's like, the law's not going away. I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to make sure it's filled up in all the ways that it needs to be filled up. And then he says, as a matter of fact, you know those professional law keepers? The people whose their entire job is to keep the law? That's what they do all day long. They obsess about the law. They talk about the laws. As Taylor said when he was preaching in this, on this passage, if you didn't hear it, I highly commend it to you. Uh, it's in the app. Go back and listen to that for more detail on this. But, but he, he says to them, there were people who kept laws to make sure they didn't break the laws. They made rules to make sure they didn't break the rules. <laughs> you know? It's like, hey, don't touch that tree. We'll, we'll draw a circle. 100. Don't go within 100 yards of that tree. That's how you know you're super righteous. That kind of deal, right? 
right? They made rules about rules. And Jesus says, you know, these guys, you gotta be more righteous than them. So if you're hearing this, what all that Jesus said in teaching, your response has to be, I'm sorry, what? I am poor in spirit, I am meek, I am needy, I am hurting, I long for a righteousness that I know I don't have. How is my righteousness supposed to exceed that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who go out into their garden? And not only do they tithe a tenth of their salaries, they go into their garden and gather up a tenth of their mint and dill and bring that in to tithe that. Like these guys are hyper. How am I supposed to be more righteous than them? And Jesus says, let me give you six examples of how this works. And that's what follows right here. Let's read this. Um, you have to, your righteousness has to exceed um, that of the Pharisees or you'll never enter the kingdom. You've heard it said, this is verse 21, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hands you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get, uh, get out until you've paid the last penny. You've heard it said, number two, you've heard it said, that, uh, uh, you've heard it, I'm sorry, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for those, it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Better to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It's also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Against you, or again, you've heard it said, uh, those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your hand, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simple, yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You've heard it said that it... uh, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other one. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse to the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good sends rain on the just and the unjust for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? 
And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a lot. How am I supposed to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Pharisees? How is that possible? Jesus says, let me give you six examples of how this is going to play out. A couple of ways that you could take this wrongly. Ways that I've taken it wrongly in the past. But I think I'm, I'm confident that I was wrong. Here is one way we can take this badly. We can levelize all sins. If you are angry with someone, go ahead and don't murder them. You know what I mean? They're not the same thing, right? Now, yes, all sins keep us from God, and one keeps us from God just like the other, but the consequences are not the same. The outfall is not the same. Fight the anger in your heart, but go ahead and just don't murder. I mean, if we just murdered everybody we were mad at, uh, toddlers would be slaughtering us all. They're just mad all the time, you know, for no reason at all. It's crazy. I mean, no traffic on 280. I'd have killed them all. Just go ahead and don't, you know? You're angry, just don't do it. So it's not levelizing and saying like, oh, I had a, a bad thought, might as well have an affair. Just don't, you know? Another way that you can take this, though, I think this is the more common way to take it. It's the way I took it. Is that Jesus is saying, hey, you know those rules my dad gave you? About to level them up. You heard my dad say don't murder? (laughs) My rules say you can't even be mad at somebody. I think we hear these, and sometimes it's like, oh my goodness, like, huh, like he's just leveling up these rules and making it even harder. I don't think that's what's going on either. Here's what I think is going on. I think Jesus is explaining to us what those things meant all along, and we just missed. I think what he's saying is the reason your, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, these professional rule keepers, is because their righteousness is just one of looks and not one of heart. You can't have just a righteousness that looks pretty on the outside. As a matter of fact, that's Jesus' later on in Matthew, one of his great accusations of the scribes and Pharisees, of the Pharisees and Sadducees, is going to be that they're clean on the outside, but filthy on the inside. He said, he's going to call them whitewashed tombs, pretty on the outside, nothing but death on the inside. What he's saying is, you guys looked at God's law, and you looked at it and said, oh, okay, well, if I can just keep from murdering somebody, I'm good. If I can keep from not having an affair, I'm good. And Jesus is saying, you misunderstood what those rules meant all along. All along, the law's purpose, the law's goal, what God sent the law to do was to transform humans, to make them into different human beings. There's examples all the way through of prophets coming and saying this, psalmists writing things about it. One of my favorites is in Hosea. Hosea 6.6 6 says this, God talking to them, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In Psalm 50, the psalmist writes this, hear my people, I'll speak, I'll testify. I am God, your God. Not for sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. 
I'll not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. This is not some leveling up righteousness. The way that they were keeping the law wasn't producing the righteousness that you thought it was and that they think it is. It's aimed at the wrong thing. You're using the law the wrong way. He's criticizing how they thought about it. The law was always intended to teach us how to live with God, how to shape us into being human beings. All the rules, all the sacrifices, all these things were to teach us that our sin has a cost and to shape them into people who could love God with everything that they were and love their neighbor as their self. That was the whole point of the law. That's why it was given, to shape us into being different, to make us be able to live in relationship with God and with each other. Jesus comes and says, man, you just, when you heard don't murder, that's all you got? You're supposed to be the type of person who doesn't even want to murder. You're the type of person who doesn't even get angry. I need your heart to change. That's what it was always about. You think that you just you like you have some kind of righteousness just because you don't have you didn't have an affair? I want you to be the type of person that doesn't even have that in your heart. It's not a leveling up. Jesus is just explaining what it always meant. I'm here to teach you what it was. And the reason it's not going away till everything is fulfilled is because the righteousness that we have to have could never come from us. It never could have come from us. It is going to come when we recognize the need for righteousness that I can never live up to God, stand before God and give it account for my life. My righteousness has to come from outside of me. And that is what Jesus is pointing them to. This is not some new way of thinking. It's always been this way, but I'm here now and your righteousness will come through me. It's not a brand new thing. It's the filling up of the thing that's always been there. How amazing, how beautiful. So here are the examples he gives. When you've heard it said, You've heard it said, don't murder. Send Ten Commandments. Don't murder, you'll be, or you'll be judged. I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And then, and then there's like, it kind of breaks it down. Uh, basically, don't insult people, right? Like, if you insult, if you say you fool, if you do this, if you do that, there's this breaking down. And it says, be reconciled. It, it even applies to worship. If you have something against your brother, go and be reconciled. What, what he's, what, what's happened, what you see in this pattern as you move through these things is, Jesus tells you the old law, and then he opens up and tells you how it applies to the inner person. You heard, don't murder. Yeah, for sure. I'm telling you, I want to deal with your heart. The type of anger that if it's given enough room or enough space leads to murder. I'm saying that if you begin to insult your brother, that, that, 
that's the that's the, what I want to deal with in your heart. You may not ever rise to the level of murder, but if you insult your brother, if you are angry with your sister, if you are fussing at them, if you if you are livid and you foster this anger in your heart, that's what I want to deal with. The murder is the external. It is the fruit. I want to deal with the root. I want you to have a different heart. That is the pattern we see as we move through all of them. You've heard it said, don't have, don't, you don't have an affair. Don't, uh, don't commit adultery. I say if you have, uh, anyone looks at a woman with, lust, uh, with uh, lustful intent, they've already committed adultery with her in his heart. Hey, you've heard, don't commit adultery. Great, that's the Ten Commandments. Don't do that. Hey, I also want you to be a type of human being that doesn't desire that. He works from the external and how they've seen it as external and begins to apply it as internal. Now watch this, third one. By the way, where are these two things going to most likely play out most often in your life? Being angry and lust. That's right, in your marriage. So here goes, if you're married, you've heard it said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. All right, it's not a sermon on marriage right now, but I want you to look that Jesus is following the exact same pattern here. There's a law that says don't get divorced. If you do get divorced, Moses' law, if you do get divorced, you have to give her a certificate of divorce. What is most likely going on here, I really believe this is true, what's happening is Moses is giving them the law from God and teaching them how to live as a, as a, as a not just as, as followers of God, but also as a, a community, right, as, as, a, as, a, as a nation. And so some of these laws are for the nation. And so he, he gives them this law and says, listen, If you divorce your wife, if you leave her, you have to give her a certificate of divorce. Here's why. In this patriarchal culture, if a man decided to divorce his wife, she's going to take the brunt of that. Her economic choices were almost nil. It was a very, very difficult thing to be a divorced woman. So to protect women, right? Moses says, hey, if you do this, not that you can, not that you should, but if you do it, you better make sure that she's protected and can remarry. Because in this culture, in this world, she's not going to have many options. So it was to protect her. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Moses said that you could give her a certificate of divorce. But the heart of that law always was your marriage is forever. That's the goal. That's what I want. I want for you to not let your anger dismiss her. I don't want your anger. And he's clearly speaking primarily to men who had the authority to do these types of things in this, in this, in this culture. Not, not only do you let your anger and dismiss her out of anger, or not, not only do you um, uh, let lust build up till you desire something beside her and dismiss her, God's intent was that you never live that way, that you live together forever, being submissive and loving one another. That was his intent. That's what he wants for you. So it's the same move from external. Hey, it's one thing not to get divorced. It's another to nurture and flourish in your marriage. Look, your marriage, if you're married, is a gift from God. If you, but it's not yours, right? If if it's a Christian marriage, it's not yours. It is his for his purposes. And he's taken the two of you like he took Adam and even put him in the Garden of Eden. And he's placed you in this this marriage, which is his. And, And it's 
for your good. It benefits you, but it's his marriage. And, and I don't, listen, I don't think that you're gonna get to heaven and just look at him and go, look at Jesus and go, well, I didn't get divorced. Here's the ashes of my marriage. Does that make sense? It's for your good. It's to accomplish something. It's to, to model for the world how Christ loved the church and how you lay down and sacrifice to see the other flourish. I could have this for me, but I want you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see you flourish and the other person looking at that person going, I'm, I'm gonna, I wanna see you flourish and even on days you don't love me well, I'm gonna love you well. Hey, on days that you don't love me, treat me like I deserve to be treated, I'm gonna love you anyway and that's the model of the marriage is supposed to be and if we just don't get divorced, it's not the heart of the rule. The heart of the law is that this is something that God has given you to flourish, to make flourish. But that's what he wants for you. That's why it's so tragic when there is abuse of any kind in a marriage because it is so damaging and it causes a breaking of a thing that is so beautiful and was meant for something greater. Now, that's not all that needs to be said about marriage, obviously. <laughs> but the idea that Jesus is moving from the external act to the internal heart is what's important. I don't think we're going to get to heaven and get a lot of bonus points. Well, well, I stuck it out. Yeah, but I gave it to you to make it flourish. Why didn't you do that? External to internal. Oaths. Oaths aren't a big deal anymore to us. Apparently it was a big deal. Like it actually comes up a couple times in Jesus' talking. Apparently making, like people would make like, you know, they like, They'd be like, you know what? I promise on, you know, like my mama's grave, right? That kind of deal. Like, I promise on the temple. Uh, and okay, but I would promise on somebody else. Is like, well, I swear by the temple gold. And like, one of them counted and one of them didn't. No lie. That's in the Bible. It's weird. Like, people would make these rules. And, and, and Jesus is like, stop with the crazy oaths. You're, you're trying to live with some kind of external technicality of like, I didn't break my word. How about this? How about you just be a person of your word? How about you just be someone who people depend on? You, you keep trying to get some kind of technicality out of these oaths. Just don't make oaths. When you say yes, people just believe you. It's because that's who you are inside. When you say no, they just believe you because that's who you are. It's moving from the external to the internal. Retaliation. You've heard it said, not for an eye, tooth for tooth. Real quick, real quick about that. Um... I think sometimes that's seen as like a violent thing in our culture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Ugh, that's terrible. Matter of fact, there's like a bumper sticker probably, you know, like uh, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind or something like that, right? It was actually like a pretty legendary leap forward. The idea was not that you, if somebody pokes your eye out, you have to go poke their eye out. That wasn't it. The idea was this, no escalation. You cannot retaliate in greater measure than what was done to you. It was to stop the natural escalation of back and forth retaliation, right? It was to, to cease that, right? It wasn't like, well, if somebody pokes your eye, you gotta go do it now. No, no, no. He says it's not that. It's not retaliation. It's not about retaliation. It's despite, uh, do not resist. I said you resist one who's evil. The heart behind that rule wasn't you have to go poke somebody's eye that pokes you in the eye. The heart behind that was if there has to be retaliation, if there has to be justice done, it must not exceed what was done to you. If you had siblings, you know this. It always escalates, right? When you end up before dad, right? 
What happened? It escalated. Somebody walked by and bumped you in the shoulder. Next thing you know, you're going to the ER, right? Like it just happened so fast. He's like, no, no, it's to stop the escalation. But the heart behind it wasn't go make things square. The heart behind it was always don't retaliate. Trust that God is going to handle that. Trust that God is going to handle the justice. Trust that he has it. It, Trust that he, don't walk around and live with that pain in your heart. Moving from the external retaliation to the internal heart that can forgive. And then kind of like the summation of all, right? Hey man, don't just love your friends. I'm telling you, you got to love your enemies too. Pray for them. Seek good for them. The external don't, don't, pun, don't, don't retaliate, don't punish your enemies, don't fight back at your enemies. Instead, actually go love them, work on that in your heart, be the type of person that even persecution does not move you to hate, but pushes you towards love. Six examples of what a higher righteousness looks like. Which of course leads us to what? I need to be a whole different person. <laughs> I've got to be a whole different human being. I would need a completely new heart. I would need a completely new desire to live out this thing. And that's where Jesus is leading us. Yes, and I will give you that. I'll give you a new heart. I will make it possible for you to live this way and to be this way and to work that way. Look, I think that for most of my life, I, I don't know, I'm old now. I say most of, that's a long time, longer than it used to be. A long part of my life. You know what? Maybe always at some place in my heart, I believe that God is just trying to shape me into a person who acts right. Right? He's just trying to make me act right, so I'm not mean, right? He's just trying to make me act right. Jesus says, I'm not trying to make you act right. I'm going to make you a whole new person. I'm not going to just manage your bad behavior. I'm going to make you different. God wants more for us than to rescue us from our bad behavior. He wants to heal us. He wants to heal us from anger. Anger will get a hold of you and will control you. And it will eat you up inside. So will lust. So will how those play out in your relationships. So will holding a grudge and wanting revenge. All of these things will teach us to turn in on ourselves more, increase bitterness. And he wants to change us into beings that trust him and learn to forgive and learn how to love so he can heal us from all kinds of hate. That's what he wants from us. I have instead spent most of my life doing what I call fruit control. Just running around, knocking bad fruit off every time it pops up, right? Like, uh, uh, how did this happen? Uh, you know? Just running around. Problem is, given enough time and space, lust and anger and all these other things, they'll, get, they'll grow so big that the orchard of fruit in your life will be so great that you can't knock it down anymore. And you look around and you're like, well, I guess this just is who I am. I can't manage these behaviors anymore. And instead of being on fruit control, we have to be about root cause analysis. All right, brace yourself. It's about to get nerdy. When I was an engineer, 
I know, I know. You just glazed over. Calm down. Stay with me just for a second. When I was an engineer, we would, when there was ever an, an incident, you would have to do what they called a root cause analysis. This guy got hurt on the job. They were on the second story, and they picked up, they were cleaning up, and there was a sheet of plywood. And they reached down, and they picked up the sheet of plywood, and they began to move the sheet of plywood. It was covering a hole, and the second person fell through the hole and hurt himself. Fell to the first one and got, hurt, got injured. Got to do a root cause analysis. Why did this happen? You need to do at least five layers, is what they would tell you. Because he fell through a hole? They're like, yeah, yeah, but why did he fall through a hole? Well, because somebody left a piece of plywood there covering a hole and didn't, didn't mark it. Why did somebody leave a piece of plywood there and cover a hole and not mark it? Well, I guess, I guess, because, I guess because they didn't think about it. No, nobody told them not to, how to handle that situation. We, there was no safety person there. Oh, so we didn't have a safety guy on site? Why don't we have a safety guy on site? Oh, well, the budget was used elsewhere, so we didn't prioritize safety. Why didn't we prioritize safety? Because budget became too, too high. So why this guy fall through a hole? Because we prioritized things that weren't included safety, didn't have a safety guy on hand. So we don't need to handle and tell people to stop doing that. We have to handle the root cause that led to the accident, right? Does that make sense? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This repentance is this turning away from anything that takes us from God back to him through Jesus. Repentance is not repenting from my bad behavior. That only gets you so far. Repenting is repenting from the seed that grew the root. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. I have in my past, and still sometimes, I know, I get angry, frustrated, Why do you get frustrated, Chris? Because people keep interrupting me and I'm doing important work. Why do you get frustrated because people are interrupting you when you're doing important work, Chris? Look, this stuff's got to get done and I don't think everybody realizes how busy I am and how important the work that I do is. Chris, why do you think that they don't understand the work that you do and how important it is and how much work you have to do? Well, because somewhere inside of me, I feel like I need everybody to know how hard I work and how much I do so that I feel validated in who I am and that I feel like I have some kind of worth in what I've accomplished. Why do you feel that you have to have, because, because I really doubt that my goodness and self-worth is found solely in Christ and that he loves me no matter what I accomplish. I really feel that if I don't get these things done that I failed him in some way and the sun won't come up tomorrow and people won't get saved and Jesus can't save people if I don't get all these things done on my checklist. And that's why I get short and yell at people because I believe a lie. If I just try to stop getting angry, it's not gonna get me very far. If I instead say I am spiritually bankrupt (laughs) and I mourn my sin and I mourn that I do not, that I constantly believe the lies that it is my accomplishment and my achievement that matters and that I have diminished the work of Christ on the cross through my ignoring that and instead placing my effort over that and I tell him that I am sorry and I repent and I trust him, then maybe I make progress tomorrow. 
Make sense? It's always going to crop up. The fruit will always crop up if I don't deal with the seed. And he wants to heal us at the core. He doesn't just want to heal you from your bad behavior. He wants to heal you at the core because that's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. To know that your righteousness is in something else. To believe these true things and not believe the lies. The lust that tells you if I had that, that I would be happy. The control that says if people would just listen to me, then everything would be okay. That, that if, if I had a, a different marriage, everything would be fine. If I, if I just could get even and, and these people finally would face realize who I am and I could, I could get retaliation and everything would be okay and my enemies would just suffer and, and all of these things that I build up in my head if I could just trust God and increase my faith and love in him then perhaps I wouldn't have to live with all those things that are eating me alive inside. Perhaps through faith in him, we are united to him and he gives us this new heart and puts us on this journey of discovering these things in our heart that we need to dig up so that we can have peace and patience and kindness and goodness and mercy and live these things out. This is why it's good news. Not because Jesus has come and raised the bar, but because he's come and given us a righteousness and a mercy like we never dreamed possible, and he wants that to be playing out in our hearts and lives now. What a beautiful thing. It's not about behavior control. It's about making us new. So here's what we do. Worship helps. To come and sing these songs and hear the people beside me singing these songs that we sing, oh, it helps. It points me to what's more important, what's more valuable. That this thing that I want or that or this thing that I believe that Jesus is so much better and that I'm settling, I am settling when I don't go to Christ. It helps me to take my bad fruit into his presence and go, I did it again. Forgive me. I didn't trust. I didn't love. Forgive me. Prayer and working that out in his presence helps. Community helps. Having people call out, come outside of me and say, hold me accountable and encourage me and lift me up. And when I stumble, pick me up and put me back on the path and love me well. I wish I had something more complicated for you than be a disciple of Jesus to follow him, to love him, to unite yourself to him and his program as he brings about the new kingdom in his, in him and in our hearts and in this world through us. He's making us new. What a gift. Let's pray. Father, continue to make us new. Continue to shape us and mold us. Continue to make us more like Jesus that we might experience this life, experience all that you want for us, which is newness, which is a new heart that is not consumed by anger, a heart that is not consumed by desire and passions for things that I should not have, a heart that loves even enemies. What a better way to be. Yes, there'll be persecution, but there's so much reward Stop depending on myself and instead trust. Trust you. To meditate on your faithful 
faithfulness, your long suffering, your pursuit of us to know the truth, to dig up the lies that produce the bad fruit in our hearts, make us new. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.